so we, we sung a song before this one. We sung a song called Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. And I got to say, I, I grew up in a, in a church where we sang old hymns. Like, that, that was pretty much all we sang. And, you know, it's, it just now, like, resonated with me that there is a line in Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah is from the earth, O praise Je- Jehovah, all ye floods, ye dragons all. We need more worship songs with dragons involved in the lyrics, okay? I, I feel like there's a lot of people who would, jo- who would join our church, like we talk about dragons up in here, so this, this is my people. So the, I, like, I've been singing that song for 30 years, and that's the first time I'm like, they sh- we just say dragons? Yeah, we did. That's awesome. Um, the Guinness Book of World Records acknowledges a man by the name of Robert Wadlow, as being the tallest man who ever lived at the height of 8 foot 11 inches. Now, all you Bible thumpers out there know that's not right. That's not true. It's Goliath. Guinness does have a rule about someone has to be there to actually verify and witness to that. Guinness was still getting their business off the ground in the B.C. era, so Goliath doesn't really count uh, for, for Guinness. However, Robert Wadlow stood at 8 foot 11 that is really, really tall. A few points of reference that people are always fascinated by with, with this guy. Man, he didn't even make it onto the screen. I didn't even realize. Good gracious. So, well, in the PowerPoint I had, it, it worked. But that, I don't know. That's a better frame of reference, I guess. At the age of nine, he stood at six foot two. For point of reference, I am six foot one. Uh, he was six foot two, 180 pounds, and could carry his own father up and down the stairwell at his home. Everyone except for his father thought that was really cool. They were really excited about this. He wore a size 33 shoe, um, and he didn't really have a job other than being really tall. Because when you're that tall, everybody wants to meet you. They want to ask how the altitude is up there. They want to shake your hand. They want to see the size of your hand. Uh, they want to ask if you, don't, if you play basketball. They then want to ask, why don't you play basketball? You're as tall as the goal. And so uh, Wadlow made his living off being tall. And, and from everything that I read up and studied and saw, people really liked Robert, and Robert really liked people. He was a larger-than-life, literally, personality. And a- as a part of this, his, his money was made off going to places and taking pictures with people and uh, signing autographs and shaking hands because people wanted to see the tallest man who ever lived. What people didn't realize as this took place was the thing that made him so famous, the thing that brought him money, the thing that allowed him to create a life for himself was also the thing that would kill him. You see, while he wasn't doing anything wrong, it's not wrong to be that tall, it is a, an extra challenge in life. And uh, this is what Robert dealt with. You see, Robert had a number of medical problems throughout his life. And, and it wasn't because he, he wouldn't diet or he wouldn't exercise. It was because being that tall comes with very, very unique challenges. As a result, while he was able to go to different places, he had health problems throughout his life because he grew too fast to the point where the human body could only handle it so much. At one point, it was hard for his ankles and his knees to support the rest of his body. And as you can see, uh, oh, it left. Um, it, it also, it was something that uh, he, you wouldn't call this person an overweight man. But Robert Wadlow died at the age of 22. He weighed 420 pounds when he died. 
which when you think about the fact that he's 8'11", that's really not that big overall. But here's how he died. He, uh, he had some issues with his ankles just supporting the rest of his weight. So doctors, and this was back in the 40s, some doctors fashioned some metal braces to help stabilize his ankles. But it took so long for a signal of pain to go from his ankle up to his brain that the message was never actually received to his brain that you are in pain right now. So what happened was his brace ends up rubbing in a blister and eventually cutting into his ankle, but he never knew it. So he continued walking on this metal that was cutting into his ankle because he didn't know that there was a cut there. The cut got infected. And again, he didn't know that he was in pain. He didn't know that there was an infection. Finally, when he starts dealing with uh, other whole body issues due to this infection, by the time they find it, the infection has spread basically throughout his body, and he died two days later. The thing that was bringing Robert life, this, this being larger than life, was the thing that was killing him. And Now you can go to the next one. The, sometimes that's life in general. The things that we think, this is bringing us life. This is, this is what's making us. Oftentimes, it's the thing that could actually bring you death at the same time. We're going to dive into the text, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. If you op- want to open up your Bibles, read along, you're welcome to. We'll have a lot of it up here. But to recap from Colossians 1 and 2, we need a frame of mind. Who's Paul talking to? What's he talking about? Well, in chapter 1, there is a growing theology that exists in the city of Colossae. And it's a number of people who've basically taken an element of Christianity and an element of uh, of uh, Judaism, and then an element of uh, a mixture of paganism. And they're blending all of it together and saying, no, this is the true religion. This is the true faith. In chapter 1, Paul's like, no, that's not it. Here's who Jesus Christ is. He was not this enlightened individual. No, he was the son of God. He existed before anyone or anything existed, and he is supreme ruler over all. And then after that, chapter 2, Paul follows up with, because of who Jesus Christ is, here's who you are. So you don't have to be the people who follow all the rules of these people who are trying to lead you in faith. Not lead you in faith, but lead you in a false faith. So when they try, in in chapter 2, he says, don't let them belittle you. Don't let them tell you you can't taste this, touch this, hold this. Don't let them uh, force you to abide by their model of life and faith. In chapter 3 is where he talks about here's why. Last week we talked a lot about narcissism because the people he's talking, that Paul's talking about in Colossians 2, they were being narcissistic. You do it our way or we are going to convince everyone around you that you are dumb, that you are crazy, that, uh, that you are not enlightened in any way, shape, or form. And they were saying, because we're the enlightened ones. We're the in charge people. We're the ones who call the shots. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, Paul then changes the, the flow. Paul changes the mind frame of the believer. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Let me start, go back to this, this first portion Because you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on realities of heaven. Think about heavenly things, not earthly things. And Paul's saying because you are having this new life in Christ, 
you should see the world in a way that you have never seen it before. Now, for so many of us, we look at this, how do we see the world in a way we never have before? What does that look like? For those of us who followed uh, God or who were, who were kind of born into faith, born into the church, it's a unique journey. And there's nothing wrong with whether you came to faith later on in life or you, you were kind of born and, and raised in the church. But one of the challenges of those who are born and raised is how do we see a new life when this new life is the life that we've always lived? Well, how do we find ourselves being transformed? How do we see ourselves when we look out in the world and we think, oh, wait, it is different than anything we could have ever imagined? Especially in a world where all you got to do is turn on any social media platform and you'll hear about how you should be seeing the world. Perhaps one of my favorite illustrations is one of you've probably seen things along this line before. But there is a bride and groom who, it was their wedding day, and they did the, you know, the first look, right? They did all the pictures. And it's during that time where sometimes they'll write a letter to one another or they'll give a gift. The bride decides to give a special gift to her husband. Her husband was colorblind, and he found a company called Enchroma who makes a special type of glasses for those who are colorblind to see color. Do we have that video up that we can show? Got these for you. Are they glasses? Yeah. You're kidding. The colorblind ones. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're so expensive. Put them on. You're kidding. Put them on. <laughs> Are you serious? You guys can see this every day. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know if you guys understand, but. I didn't know. <laughs> the grass look green. <laughs> yeah. It's unreal. Stop making me cry. <laughs> but it's it's color like I don't nobody understands how I'll have to relearn my colors with the glasses. <laughs> yeah, what color you actually think? This is violet or purple, this is blue. I'm gonna say this is rose okay. red or pink, Thinking. white and violet on the end. Oh nice! Yeah. You like? I can see colors. <laughs> you like? This is unreal. I can't wait till you can see like, I go call red the barn. I know it's so vibrant. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't taken them off since. Now you're not going to want to stop wearing them. <laughs> I wish you could put them on. <laughs> I and... did, but it doesn't look like much different to me. No, the, <laughs> the barn is deliberately red right now. and like bright? Oh, yeah, and before it's gray. Really? Yeah. This side, at least. <sighs> look at your tie. It's pretty blue. I know. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> this is what you guys see every day. Yeah. Pretty awesome. My skin's actually dark. <laughs> You're not pale. You're kind of tan. <laughs> we won't lift my pant leg up. Do I touch it? The sky. <laughs> Pretty blue. I 
I can fly an airplane with these. Yeah, you can. Now you can get your license, you know. <laughs> the barrels are so much different. <laughs> the, these glasses didn't change you, though. You still look just as great. Well, that's good. His hand's shaking, don't worry. Huh? His hand is shaking. Watch it. <laughs> I had to watch that. I think this is the fourth time I've watched that video so I could practice not crying when I, when I took all that in. Life looks a lot different when you choose to see it through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of God. And so Paul starts by saying in Colossians 3, because you're seeing the world, you're seeing life in a way that you've never seen it before. Here's what new life might look like. We'll continue on in Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Paul says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. If you've stripped off all your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I, I want to break down something as we start off. We talked a little bit about this in the class we had this morning over Shepherd's Selection. But one of the, we have a, uh, I'm going to say a hermeneutical history. Uh, if you don't know what, what, that, what that is, a hermeneutical history is a, uh, we have a history of how we interpret Scripture. We have a history of when we read the Bible. For those of you who grew up old school, you might hear command, example, necessary inference. And that is what dictates how we read the Bible. And so here's the problem with that mode of reading. Is when we get to passages like this of, of, chapter, of chapter 3, verse, verse 5 through 10... Where, where we get this, can we go to the last slide before to the verse 5 through 10? And when, when, we, when we, no, not him, the verses 5 through 10, I don't even know who that guy is. So I'm kidding, that's at the end. Uh, 5 through 10, where, where he talks, you know, he, he lists all these different verses, all these different uh, things to not do. And for the longest time when we read these, we read them as, here's all the sins to not commit. If you do these things, you are a sinner and you are bad. Okay, let me start by saying, yes, the, those things are true. These are, these are things that we can kind of read that are consistently throughout the Bible as sinful. But I don't think that's what Paul was trying to say is, now you live a new life. Here's the rules. Ready, set, go. I mean, he, he just said in the verses before, you are free from all the nitty gritty little rules. And, they, and, and there is this style of life to live, but here's why. Why does he say that then if it's not this, um, this history? You see, we've read Scripture, for, for many of us in our tribe, we've read Scripture as a, this is a list of things not to do, and by not doing them, you are doing church correctly. We are doing Christianity correctly. We are, we are or better yet, we are not doing Christianity the wrong way. This is the correct way, this is right, this is wrong. Everything is black or white, nothing else. And I don't think that's what Paul was trying to say. Yes, these are, things are wrong, 
But I think what he's trying to say is if we looked at our, changed our lens of how we read Scripture just a little bit. So Paul talks about how the attitude and mind frame of Jesus Christ says this in so many different letters. Philippians 2 comes to mind. Had the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Well, something that Jesus says that, that has kind of been a point of reference for when I read Scripture for me personally has been when I read through the lens of John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, The thief has come in to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. I am here to give you life. Do you notice, Jesus didn't say, I am here to make sure you do all the right things, not do the wrong things, and get to heaven instead of hell. It was, no, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. He isn't even necessarily talking about the life after this. When he's talking about this life here and now. So what if so much of the gospel is not about getting to heaven, but bringing heaven here to earth? What if as a part of that, Paul has the same mind frame when he hears this, that I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. So what might it look like then if we think, what is going to give us life? And Paul perhaps is looking at verses 5 through 10 and saying, here's what won't give you life. And the truth is, all these things are temptations to have. They all are. But none of them lead to truer, fuller life. So it's not about not sinning. It's about finding a deeper, more meaningful life in Jesus Christ. And it's so much different because the truth is, there is a temptation for sexual immorality. There is a temptation of lust. There is a temptation when someone says something that ticks us off or something hurtful to someone we love and care about, we want to go off on them and let them know our business and put them in their place. And when things aren't going our way, that, hey, life might be a little easier if we just lie. But do you know someone who lies all the time, who has just a ton of friends, who are like they're actually close with? Do, do, you know, do you know of anyone who they seem to get angry and short-tempered all the time? Have you ever noticed those people are really tired and they lack friends as well? How many TV shows and movies have been created about individuals that Hollywood generates the story of they, they are just on a on this rampage of sleeping with as many people as possible, and the end story is always the same. They feel empty and they can't experience intimacy. And so Paul is writing these, these, all these stay away or, or have a renewed mind frame because those things, they're just going to bring you death. Yeah, in one space, in one moment, it might bring you an instant gratification or satisfaction, but it will ultimately destroy you. And it will lead to anything but life in the fullest. And I love how Paul then changes direction after this. In verse 11, Paul, Paul then writes this. So all these, put these things away because they won't lead to this new life in Christ. In verse 11, he then changes direction slightly because he says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Okay, that's a little bit of a switch because now it's renew your mind and all, okay, and it doesn't matter who you are. But in addition to this, I'm going to flip over real quick to Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says kind of the same thing. If you look at verse 26 through 28 of Galatians 3, Paul's writing to, it's the same writer writing to a different church. But he says basically the same message. 
For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the two children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I love this passage, and here's why. Paul's talking about this renewed frame of mind. But if you know what's going on in Colossae, it's these people who are teaching a different faith, who are putting down the people who don't think like them, but they're reasoning their justification for why they get to be the leaders of that faith, that they get to be in charge. There's two reasons. Number one, the universe chose me. <laughs> How convenient. The universe chose me. Reason number two, the Colossians were telling these, uh, these other Christians, because look at who my family is. I, I am a true Colossian. I, I, I have a family who has a very high reputation. And it's, we talked about narcissism last week. It's going back to the same thing. I have been chosen by the universe in this city. And because of who my family is, I have authority over you. And Paul's saying, but if you belong to Christ, it doesn't matter who your family is, what the, what the uh, color or tone of your skin looks like. It doesn't matter if your family was, was slaves or if they were freed people or if, they were, or if they were masters or if they worked and made a lot of money or they made no money at all. It doesn't matter what they did in their past life. If you come from a family who has a deep, deep history of crime, it doesn't matter if you belong to Christ, if you have given your life over to him, then you are free from all of that and you are invited to live this new life. How many people in our world today have tricked themselves or allowed Satan to trick themselves into believing because I look different, I don't belong. Because of decisions I've made in my past, I don't belong. And Paul is saying that is so far from the truth. There is nothing, no individual or no act that can separate you from the love of Jesus shared on his cross. Nothing. And so when we pick up the passage and come back to the passage that Lewis read, verses 12 through 17, it's, it's kind of the same of verses 5 through 10, except it's, it's the inverse, right? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that, Christ, that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, to God, sing with thankful hearts, and whatever you do, whatever you say or do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so it's this inverse, right? That, that kindness, tenderheartedness, compassion, the, these, these areas that we read at the beginning of church, it isn't Paul saying, here's how to do church correctly. Here's the list, keep it twice. It ain't that. 
It's Paul saying, here's the things that one are going to lead to a deeper, fuller, richer life. And here's the best part. This is a life that will be so compelling to the people around you who don't believe. They will not be able to help themselves, but to ask, why are you this way in the face of so much adversity and opposition? Why are you still kind? Why are you forgiving? Why are you compassionate when people treat you so horribly? Paul's saying, you won't have, it'll be the easiest conversion story you could ever share. He's not telling you to be this way because I want you to be non-sinners. He wants, you to peep, he wants them to be people who inject life into their local community. That's exactly who God calls us to be here and now. That's who God calls us to be as Christ followers. Those who proclaim the glory of God to the nations and say, hey, come on and join us. It doesn't matter your background. You matter and you are a part of this. But perhaps some of us have lived in this life like, like we've, we've, we've been able to see color our whole life. We weren't colorblind. We didn't need the enchroma glasses. So what, is, what does that look like? How is this shift going to take place? I want to share in closing. I'm going to share the story of this guy named Shane Claiborne. <clears throat> see, Shane was, um, Shane was your average teenager from, uh, grew up in Middle Tennessee, and Shane grew up in a home, in a family that they, they kind of believed in God, kind of believed in Jesus. Sure, seems really nice. Uh, but they were mainly a, a, a Christmas Easter kind of family. Like they would go to church on, on, the, on the big spiritual holidays, and that was about it. And, and Shane talked about how it was, it was good, but he was free one weekend when he was in seventh or eighth grade, and he had a friend who was pretty active in a local church and invited Shane to join him on this winter retreat youth rally gathering thing. Uh, for those of you who remember Winterfest, a lot like Winterfest. And, he, uh, and he, he said, you know, I wasn't really that familiar with Jesus, but I, I had a lot of respect for this guy who invited me. And, and he and I were friends. I knew that I'd get to room with him and, and other people who I didn't know super well, but they seemed like cool people. And so he goes on the retreat. And he sings these songs. He doesn't know the words to them. They were singing about, you know, dragons and things like that in, the, in some of the songs. And, you know, that, that's unique and that's interesting. And, um, but then he, he hears people pray and there's reading from Scripture. And, and one of the guys who presented, who spoke, he just laid out the story of Jesus. He just kind of, just about just read the Gospels. And that was it. And Shane heard it. He said, I'd never heard the story before. I had no idea. He said, when I did, I had no choice but to, I, I was so compelled to renew the way I'd seen the world altogether. I, I went to the youth leader who was there. I like, basically knew his name. That was about it. And I said, I want to give my life to Christ. They start studying. He gives his life to Christ. He, he goes into the waters. He gets baptized. He comes up out of the water. His hands are, are up in the air. He's so excited. And, and he comes home and he starts telling his parents and he starts telling his siblings and Here's, here's who God is. Here's who Jesus is. And, and he's done so much in my life. And man, I am on fire for God right now. I, I want to do so much. And he is so excited. He's reading his Bible. He's getting ready for church that very next Sunday. And he shows up and, and they do church. And, and then they do a Bible class and, and he likes it. But he's like, all right, now what? What's next? And the youth leader says, what do you mean? That's it. He said, what, what do you mean what's it? Like, I, I got baptized. I've given my life to Christ. And, and Jesus talks about, you know, going into all the world, and, and what are we doing next? And 
Well, he hears, well, um, okay, yeah, well, I appreciate your fire for this. Uh, keep coming to church. Uh, be really nice to people. Be really kind. And so if they ask, then you can have that answer, and maybe a conversion thing will happen. Uh, go on a few mission trips. Uh, that'd be good. Get a feel for that. Maybe you want to do ministry. But, uh, yep, that's it. And he left feeling dejected. He said, do, do these people understand who Jesus is? They, they've been going to church every single week. He wrote this in one of his books. He said, they've been going to church every week for their whole life, and I don't think they really know who Jesus is. I don't think they realize that Jesus can be encountered still today. And so he decided, you know what? I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to figure it out. As he, he goes through high school, he begins noticing that the people who Jesus did most of his one-on-one ministry to was uh, the poor and the powerless. And so when he goes on his mission trips, he doesn't go further than 10 or 15 miles from home. He does a number of uh, studies and areas as he grows and learns, and he decides he wants to learn theology at, at like the most elite level. So he gets accepted and enrolls into Wheaton University, which is kind of uh, sort of, at least at one point, it was considered like the Harvard University of Christian Schools. It's, uh, it's in Illinois. And he goes there and he said it was incredible how many people talked about the way of Jesus and yet never encountered the people whom Jesus said to love, the least of these. One of his uh, mission points ends up being reaching out to the homeless of, uh, on the streets of Philadelphia. And his story is incredible because later on during this time, he, uh, he wants to experience all the areas of loving God and people in ways that he didn't feel like he was going to be able to encounter. So, and this was back in the 90s, I should mention, he wanted to encounter the very least of these, and USA Today had been covering someone who had been talking about it a lot, and he secretly got the number of this woman by the name of Mother Teresa, and he actually called her, thinking it would be a prank that someone had just punked him and sent a fake number, Uh, and Mother Teresa answered, and he ends up doing an internship in Calcutta with Mother Teresa. Later on, after that, he shares this story, but then later on, after the 9-11 attacks in New York and Washington, he hears that the United States is going to be sending troops over to the Middle East because a war has started, and he's the guy who says, you know, I don't see Jesus taking up arms, and so I'm not going to take a stance there, but I do know that there are people in the Middle East whose homes are about to be blown away, who are going to have family who are going to be shot, and they're not a part of these terrorists. They want nothing to do with this. They're just kind of caught in the middle. He said, who needs more Jesus more than them? So in the midst of the beginning of that war is when he went to minister to these people. If you want to read more about his story, he wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution. He's written several more. He has a real heart for uh, social justice and human rights. Um, and and he, he goes down this path, but we all have different paths that we take. And maybe it's that one. Maybe it's something different. But I can't help but wonder... Not just what our world, but let's just say our church and our community. What might we look like if we decided we're not going to be the people who work really hard to not sin anymore? Instead, be the people who decided to give a big dose of life to Cinco Ranch in Katy, Texas. What might it look like if we decided, you know what, we're going to stop worrying about what other people and what other churches are doing. And we're going to let Christ just rule our life prayer team, if you don't mind heading to the back, praise team, y'all can come on out. Um, You have an opportunity this morning for for a couple of things. 
Number one, some of you might be brand new to the story of Jesus. Some of you might be new and, and you're kind of wondering, okay, what, what is this story about? And, and you talk about a cross, you talk about the blood, and, and that's what's so special is Christ gave his life once and for all. Christ died for all sinners, and that's throughout Scripture. And the way that you accept this is, is you, you put him on, and, and you accept him as Lord and Savior. And we can talk about baptism as, as a big part of that, a big special part of that, that I'd love to talk with you about as well. And then the people in the back are people who ask really good questions about your faith. They're not there to judge. They're not going to tell you you better or you ought to. They're going to love you. And they're going to ask questions about where is God moving in your life here and now. But maybe you're someone who's already given your life to Christ and you want to look and think, I, I'm having that spiritual color blindness. I need those glasses. And, and I had them at one point and I, I think I lost them. And it's at that space we ask God to move in ways that he has never moved before in our lives and in our community. Because ultimately we want what God wants. We just want to participate in what God's up to in the world. We're here because of Jesus. No other reason. And you, regardless of what your family background or your personal history is, you have a place of safety, of loving, and God is inviting you. Please come here. So if that's a space you'd like to enter into, feel free to head to the back as we stand and sing this next song.